This is Soccer City. On Saturday at 3 Eastern time, I was settled in to watch the Copa Libertadores final, the Super Classico, Boca Juniors River Plate. What happened has been termed as tragic by an Argentinian who covers the game, plus the MLS legacy of Argentinian Tata Martino. Those stories in a moment. New Jersey native Giuseppe Rossi became a polarizing figure when he chose to play for the Italian national team, the Azzurri, instead of the red, white, and blue of the U.S. La Voce's Iraria Moroni will join me for an exclusive interview with a young man who is pondering his next steps as a professional. On Buenos Aires on Saturday, it was supposed to be the second leg of the Copa Final, maybe the most discussed match in the history of Argentine football. Boca Juniors, River Plate. But when River fans pelted the Boca bus with rocks, broke windows, injured players, Conmebol, the Confederation, still wanted to play the match. Well, we're going to pick it up from here with football MLS soccer writer and Wado radio commentator Ariel Judas. Looking at this situation, what was it about the uh, Conrad Ball's initial intent to play the game? What was that all about? Isn't it crazy? Uh, um, the, the years go by and Conrad Ball um, hierarchy seems to be dumber and dumber every year. So, uh, yeah, that's the kind of uh, people running the, the top level of South American soccer right now. South American soccer has been having a big crisis of uh, people running the, the, the show for, I would say, 20, 25, 30 years maybe. This is the worst crisis ever for me in South American soccer for Comeball. Um You have right now the, uh, what, what's left of a very corrupt uh, group of people running the, uh, the, the confederation and the local federations you have to remember that the FIFA gate uh, sent to jail many of the guys running South American soccer. They were corrupt as hell, but they could run the show pretty smoothly. Now what we have is the people that used to surround them to work with them, but they are not as clever and they make mistakes. They are running the, the, the biggest organization in soccer in Latin America and they cannot do it. They are, don't care about the soccer players. They uh, don't respect the soccer players. Basically, this is a, a point of no return. South American soccer has to reform and, and regrow in another shape, maybe in another confederation from now on, or uh, something else has to, has to happen uh, down there because uh, the, the, the situation is almost unbearable. So this is, uh, in your mind and your opinion, is just an extension of issues from the past so here now we have the today so a decision is going to be made even by the time this program airs that decision may have already uh, taken place but if you're uh, heading the confederation what are you going to do about this you have one leg left and there's another thing then in a couple of weeks the club uh, world cup is due to start and they need to have a south american club playing there it should be the Copa Libertadores champion. But I don't know, I don't think, I don't feel that the final will be played. Yeah, but you don't think it's possible that uh, a neutral site for the second leg, when you say River won't want to do it, doesn't the, isn't Kamla Ball the, the ultimate deciders here? 
yeah, they should decide. But you have seen how poor decision making uh, uh, power. Yeah. So have. we go we go back to the leadership issue. Yeah, yeah, it's a leadership leadership crisis in Carnival, in Argentine politics, in Argentine clubs. That's for sure as well. But uh, imagine, imagine you're the president, the head of the Commonwealth, and you call the Chilean Federation or the Brazilian Federation or the Peruvian Federation, and you tell them, hey, guys, we want you to, to host this Boca River game. They know, they have watched that this game was a mess, uh, a security crisis for the city that the, the game was supposed to be played on. They won't, they won't, they, I don't think they, they will be a, a they will agree to 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 host a, a problematic game uh, such as Boca River at this at this moment right now. Maybe if the game is played in uh, um, whatever the the Club World Cup uh, is going to take place, maybe that could be an option. I mean, taking this this game to um, United Arab Emirates or some place like that, Italy. Um, has offered one of the Italian cities has offered to 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 host the game, but I don't think essentially that Boca wants to play the game right now. We were they want to play the game, but they only would do it. They would accept it if they host it at the Monumental in Buenos Aires. So I don't see the game. I don't see it flying. So, well, in addition to the Club World Cup deadline, you also have the G20 summit. Coming, oh, yeah. to, coming to Buenos Aires on Friday. That's world powers are meeting, including our own Donald Trump for the United States. Yeah. So you add that into the equation, and, and it makes it uh, even more complicated. You cannot say right now, uh, okay, we're going to play on Friday or Saturday. No, then that that is that is not possible in Buenos Aires because the city will be locked down for this. G20 summit. But but tell us, as we wrap up this part of it, what does this mean for Argentine soccer? Knowing that for the last five years, road supporters were not permitted to even travel to games because of the violence. I mean, where are we at with all that? The majority of, of, of fans in Argentina are fed up with this situation. But this is a situation that uh, in, in different levels, this is the, the, the highest level of of alarm, alert, and sadness, but this 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 has been going on for at least 20 years in in, in Argentine soccer. So people are fed up with violence, are fed up with um, uh, corrupt uh, uh, people running the, the the clubs and the Argentine soccer. And uh, some things should change, but we've been in this point so many times before that you always doubt if that time of of renewing the whole thing, starting from scratch all over again, and redesigning the league, redesigning the way that soccer operates, redesigning the way that federation operates in Argentina. That's a whole universe for, for, for us Argentine soccer fans. My hope is that this will be uh, the stepping point to start changing things. <laughs> Deep in my, in my heart, I, I, I still doubt about it. I'm, I would love to see it happen. I doubt it happens. Ariel Hudis, our guest, uh, football MLS. And, uh, well, he was covering MLS on Sunday night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium where Atlanta was playing host to the New York Red Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals first leg. 
And I don't think anyone was anything but shocked by the result here. 3-0 Atlanta. What was your read after the game with an opportunity to talk to, uh, I know you spent most of your time on the Atlanta side, but what about this match? Uh, I was very surprised to see the Red Bulls not doing what they usually do. That is pressing, asphyxiating their rivals. Uh, They kind of let Atlanta play kind of freely during the first half, and that was a big shock for me. And on the other hand, Atlanta did, did everything perfect. It is the perfect venue, the perfect crowd, the perfect players, so they, they had a huge night. We talked about Argentina earlier and Argentina football. They're led by an Argentine, Tata Martino, who's already announced that he will be departing. The, uh, the rumor is the next head coach with Mexico. Is, is that the way you're hearing it? And, uh, or if it's not that, what are his options here? No, no, I think he's going to Mexico. He doesn't want to talk about it. He kind of danced a little bit around the, that possibility without mentioning Mexico or any other national team or club. But I think he's going there. And it's funny you mentioned Tata Martino because he was Basically, he left Argentina in 2016 after the Copa America Centenario because he was fed up with the whole um, Argentine way of doing things, uh, talking about specifically about the federation and the way the clubs uh, respected or didn't respect the national team, the collapse, and the players they could um, uh, allow to go to the national team. Specifically, he was very frustrated with the Olympics and the pre-Olympic team for that uh, back then, and he didn't receive the players he was expecting, and that's why that was the final drop to make him decide to, to, to leave the Argentine Federation. I don't know if that is ever coming back to Argentina, to the Argentine Federation or the Argentine League, but it, it is a shame, actually, that uh, Argentine soccer cannot uh, depend on this kind of people to to, 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 to run the, the show, to run the national team, to, to run the league, to uh, assess what the league needs to be done. And we're going back to the same, we're going back to the same thing. It's a cultural thing. It's a lack of, uh, of uh, um, preparation or an awareness of, of the, the, the people running uh, professional soccer in Argentina. That, well, uh, it all stems from, from the same old issue and thing. So the uh, the rumors that he was uh, considering or a candidate for the Argentina position, from his end, you would have been shocked if he accepted that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only way that I could, that I could uh, not accept but understand why he's going back to Argentina would be an emotional thing. You know that um, he played and he coached a very big team in, in Rosario, in his uh, hometown, the Lionel Messi's hometown as well. Newell's Old Boys is a, um, a fan and a former player and former coach of Newell's Old Boys. He always said that he he would go back to Newell's if ever he was, uh, was in, in a position where the club could um, be relegated to second division. In that situation, he could consider and go back to Argentina and help the team. He has done that already. He helped them 
escape relegation and even they under Martino they, they they won a couple of championships in Argentina so he's he has a proven record of being able of, of doing that sort of thing so Ariel uh, Tata Martino what will his legacy be in MLS I think that the best thing that Martino has brought to MLS is proving that things can be done differently the the, the Miguel Almiron tale is something that from now on all MLS clubs should follow. I mean, going to uh, South America, bring in young talents, um, cultivate them here in MLS, preparing them for living for Europe and having a successful career in Europe, and enjoy these kind of players for two or three years. That is the, the, the new cycle that I think that Martino has kind of invented himself and that will be his legacy. Atlanta will meet the New York Red Bulls in the second leg of the Eastern Conference Finals in Harrison, New Jersey on Thursday with a 3-0 lead on aggregate. Many thanks to Ariel Houdis. Uh, MLS clubs not currently involved in the postseason had a 1 p.m. deadline on Monday to submit their list of players whose options will be picked up, options declined, and bona fide offers that have been made to players out of contract like David Villa for New York City FC. No announcement yet from NYCFC as of Tuesday morning. Former NYCFC coach Patrick Vieira with Nice in Ligue 1. His side has won five matches on the bounce. They move up to seventh in the table, three points out of a possible Europa League spot, four points behind second place Lyon for Champions League. The French World Cup champion Vieira, he played on some Italian clubs, Milan, Juventus and Inter Milan, New Jersey native Giuseppe Rossi, among his professional clubs Fiorentina in Serie A, and he's a free agent at the moment. He's trained the last six months with the Red Bulls, a young man whose Italian heritage fostered his love for the game, led by his father, Fernando Rossi. La Voce's Ilaria Moroni and I recently spoke with Giuseppe, including comments from the current Clifton High School coach Stan Lembrick, a great family friend of the Rossi's. Ladies first. Giuseppe, who was your favorite soccer player when you were growing up? Well, that, I mean, that, that, that's a very good question because growing up as an AC Milan fan, my first, first uh, idol was uh, Ruth Gullit. Oh, okay. And I grew up watching him play. I grew up very fondly of uh, Marco Van Basten. And uh, when I was a kid, I used to have the video cassette of the three Dutch players of Milan. So that was Gullit, that was Van Basten, and there was also Frank Rijka. <laughs> And I used to watch that cassette over and over and over, and um, and it was great because uh, thanks to them, my passion for this sport grew bigger. My uh, my willingness to uh, to emulate them was just you know was just over the over the moon. So I every time I used to go on the go go in my backyard, I used to always uh, pretend I was them. You know, Stan talked uh, a little bit about that. We're gonna we're gonna play that later, but I, I first wanted to uh, give you a feel for what Stan thought about playing for your father. Intense. <laughs> uh, he was uh, extremely passionate about the game, knowledgeable about the game. We were very fortunate to have someone with that kind of background coming over from Italy, playing in the old American Soccer League, um, playing at Southern Connecticut State. Um, I mean, he, you could see in training he was an unbelievable player, um, 
but most importantly, he treat us as, treat us all like uh, his sons. And I think that translated very easily on the field to give all your best. So you had a lot of big brothers, it sounds like. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, he used to always take me to his trainings, to his games. Um, I was his number one ball boy. The players used to um, used to love it. I used to love watching them play. I mean, I grew up watching his teams play, and um, and I became their biggest fans. So, uh, Giuseppe, uh, one more thing from Stan here, and then we'll play off of it because it's uh, he, because he was at your house so often. He ha- he got a close up look at the uh, young Giuseppe Rossi. Here's uh, what he said about that experience. You know, from an early age, you can see it was a little bit different. Uh, he always trained with the high school guys, so he's always playing with older kids and, you know, always training, you know. And uh, But most importantly, I, I, I tell you, as an interesting um, fact, I remember being over the house, and as a young kid, which I think is something that we need to stress here, is that uh, he watched soccer very, you know, with, with, with a keen eye as a little kid with just just a focus of watching the games on TV. And, you know, I, I think that's a, a big part of uh, his development. So you alluded earlier, uh, Giuseppe, to, to, to watching the game, uh, Van Basten, on your VHS and, and emulating those guys. So uh, Stan feels like that was a big part of your development. You agree? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think at a young age, when you're able to watch games, um, you're able to take in more. It just makes you go out on the field. It makes you go out in, um, in your backyard and wanting to try and to try and do the same. And um, and, and I think that's one of the main factors of how passion can uh, can grow. I already love the sport because my father took me out in the backyard training, uh, taken out to his um, to, to his training session. That's great. Uh, but wanting more, wanting to understand how the professionals do it, or just trying to analyze it. I'm not going to say like analyze the game at a young age, but just watching it and understand and asking questions even to your father. You know, how do we do this? How do we do that? I think um, that I think that's a way to also um, uh, to build up that love for the sport, which which is which is what happened to me when I was a kid. What was it like to grow up in Jersey and being so passionate about soccer? It was great because I love the game of soccer. Um, it was tough to get uh, to have pickup games because nobody really wanted to play soccer when I was younger. I remember I was um, on my bike one time and I, I wanted to play a pickup game in the park with my friends. I'm riding around all over Clifton, New Jersey, uh, trying to recruit players. And maybe out of the 10 homes that I went to, everybody didn't want to come play just because they didn't really like the sport or they didn't feel like they were good enough to play. So um, after a two-hour search, I go back in my backyard. I call over my father. I call over my sister. And um, and we had a little uh, mini pickup game in the backyard, which was always fun. There, there, that's, that's a great story. But there's always so much discussion about the lack of pickup soccer in the States when you compare it to, well, you spent a lot of time in Spain and Italy. Uh, did you observe while you were bicycling or driving around neighborhoods there were, there were games going on all the time? Well, I mean, yeah, of course. There's a big difference. Um, the only sport you see you see playing on the streets is soccer. I mean, there's no other sports that you see, especially in Italy. Um, there's always a soccer ball in the park or or, um, or on the streets. 
Um, but I do have to say that in these past years, I have seen um, more people playing, more people enjoying themselves in the parks or on whichever soccer field there is, like around you know my areas in New Jersey and New York. Um, and it's great to see. I really, really love seeing that. And um, I just hope to continue to, uh, to see it more um, so this sport could grow and become a household sport one day in, um, in the U.S. What else can be done to increase soccer popularity in the United States? I think we're doing a good job. I think we're doing a good job in our areas to um, increase uh, the popularity. Um, kids are more involved. Um, uh, they love playing soccer. Um, one thing that I would probably do better is to expose it more. It's very hard to catch a Liga game unless it's the Clásico. It's very hard to catch um, a Juventus versus Napoli game, which is one of the best games you could find in Europe. So um, just to have better access, easier access to, uh, to big games like this in order for those young kids like how I was when I was a kid to watch the games, to fall in love with the game and... Um, and to try and uh, and copy these uh, these big time players, uh, what they do on the field, to, just to bring it in their park and show their friends and talk about the game and just and just create this um, this community of uh, of wanting to love the sport. We're with Giuseppe Rossi, uh, who was born in Teaneck, New Jersey, raised in Clifton, New Jersey. So, uh, Giuseppe, as uh, your level grew and you had these opportunities to perform at a high level, uh, you had a choice, represent the USA or Italy on the international level. I'm, I'm just curious as to what were the things you considered and uh, why ultimately you chose Italy. My family, uh, they're all Italians, okay? They're all Italians. They came here when they were, my parents came here when they were 15, 16 years old, and um and obviously, my first language when I was in it, uh, when I was born was Italian, and um, I grew up in a household speaking a lot of Italian. Um, and therefore, when it came to soccer, I used to watch Milan. That was my team. I used to watch La Serie. I used to watch um, the Italian national team because that's what I grew up watching. That's what I grew up falling in love with. And um, and when I had the the privilege to um, to play. For the Azzurri, or to have that choice to play for the U.S. or the Azzurri, um, my mind was made up already when I was two years old. It wasn't something that I made up when I was 18 years old and had that possibility. So um, I just hope people understand that. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that don't understand it, that don't want to, that don't want to understand it. But um, it was it was a decision that I made uh, when I was younger and not. Not when I was 18, and uh, and I was given the possibility to play for the U.S. I know one person uh, that understands it is Alaria here, who uh, certainly would have uh, preferred your choice of Italy over the U.S. every day of the week, right, Alaria? <laughs> Don't be mean. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's cultural. That's I mean that's what you're saying. It's a cultural thing. That's the the family you grew yeah, up in, right? Course. Yeah, of course. I mean, listen, everything I did um, was the Italian way, the way that I was brought up. Um, our Friday pizzas, our Sunday pastas. <laughs> uh, my grandparents, that's, that's the only language they speak. My first language, just like I was Italian, I learned English when I, um, after two or three months uh, when I was in kindergarten. So it's, I think it's something normal, something natural where I grew up. I left, I left Clifton when I was 12 years old to go play in Italy 
So, I mean, all if you add all these things up, I think it was a decision that people should understand, and I hope that they understand. So you were 12 years old, you arrived in Italy. What was your first impression when you got there? Did you feel you were coming back home? I'm uh, not really coming back home because I was born um, in the U.S. And I used to go to Italy for two months every summer when school closed. Uh, me and my father, my sister, and my mother, we left. And we would go to Italy for two months, visit uh, the country and stay in, their, uh, stay in their little town. I had a very strong connection to the country itself. Um, I never really lived there to call it home. It, w- it, was a, it was a different experience when I first went there at 12 years old. Um, obviously, the culture is different from the U.S. Schools, you go there on Saturdays, and it's from 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock. So maybe that, so, so that was something that I had to, uh, that I had to adapt. Um, training sessions lasted for two hours um, in the afternoon every single day. So that was something else that I had to adapt. So, you know, little adjustments that I had to make at 12 years old. I mean, thank God my father was with me. Um, he helped me out tremendously, not only when I was 12, but for the whole entire part of my career. So it, so it was a culture shock for me when I first got there. Going to school on Saturday? That sounds traumatic for an American. <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. It was really bad. And uh, I didn't enjoy it, but I had to do it. Giuseppe, great success on the professional level in Europe, uh, international level as well, but uh, not on the World Cup squad in either 2010, 2014. Injuries have had a dramatic impact on, on your career and life. I'm just wondering how these experiences have shaped you as a person. Yeah, you know, tough experiences. You know, things have been taken away from me, not because not because of uh, of my playing ability or not because of the person I am, just because of circumstances that you really can't control. If it's injuries, um, which didn't make me go to um, a Euro and the World Cup, if it's uh, unfortunately the passing of my father, which happened in, in 2010, which took a lot of time away from my playing time. Um, you know, these are situations where unfortunately happened um, while my career was, very good playing at very high levels and that was um, a very important piece to every team of um of the italian national team that uh that i was a part of um but unfortunately sir, these uh these circumstances uh came about and it's just a matter of uh it's just a matter of trying to rebound react in a positive way and trying to get back there and um and doing it again well I know you've been with the Red Bulls for about half a year training. Uh, first, I want to ask yeah. you, how did that come about? I have a few people that I know at the Red Bulls for the past couple of years um, in my offseason. Um, they gave me the possibility to use their facilities, if it was for my training, if it was for gym work, um, or even for my rehab last year when I was recovering fr- uh, from an injury. Um, this year, since I've been a free agent for longer than what I've expected, um, I asked if um, if I could, um, if I could train with them, um, you know, just to have the possibility to be on the field with a very good team like Red Bull and uh, keep uh, keep fit and just keep uh, just keep playing and having fun, which is exactly what I'm having. Um, a lot of fun with those guys. Um, I'm happy that they're doing uh, really good because they deserve it. It's a great group. It's a great group of guys. Now, there's a very obvious question to ask on the heels of that answer is you've been with them, you have a relationship, uh, you're obviously looking to get back, and you're 31 years old, you're fit, so you want to keep playing. Uh, what are the chances of you uh, playing in MLS, perhaps for the Red Bulls, 
Perhaps for New York City FC, David V is 37 years old. They need a striker. Yeah, I mean, these are all possibilities that I am keeping open, obviously. Um, coming home and playing home would be something amazing. It'd be something amazing because, because you know, this area of New Jersey um, is, is, is in my blood. Is in my blood, and um, and I would love to, I would love to be a part of it. I would love to be a part of this uh, this soccer uh, this soccer culture that is around uh, this area in the New Jersey, New York area. Um, obviously, um, it takes two to uh, um, it takes two to tangle. They say, am I right? <laughs> so, so whenever the time is right, whenever um, there is the true possibility, um, I would love to sit down and uh, talk. Thanks to Giuseppe Rossi. Stan Lembrick, he organizes an annual event uh, for alumni in honor of Fernando Rossi. It will be December the 8th with a scholarship awarded to a deserving senior. Donations can be sent to Clifton High School Boys Soccer Alumni. And that'll do it for Soccer City. I'm Glenn Crooks.